0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So tonight we're going to continue and end off with our small sermon series. We've been busy with the last While Sinner or Saint. Part three, and the topic for tonight is the justice of grace. The justice of grace, you know, certain scholars will say that, you know, that grace is the antithesis of justice, you know, but with that bearing in mind, whenever we think of it that way, that grace is the antithesis of justice, what we are saying is that whenever God gives grace, He is not just in giving that grace, and we'll see tonight that grace is not the antithesis of justice but in the grace of God the justice of God is also upheld through Jesus Christ on the cross as we ask the question but how can a good God allow evil to exist and tonight with that in mind we'll still be looking at the story of David and Saul and comparing these two kings of Israel and seeing the sins that they committed and God rejecting the one but God's goodness God's favor, God's mercy and God's forgiveness simply stays with David even though he commits great sin. And we have to ask the question, when looking at the sins of David, Lord, how is this fair? How is this just, Lord, concerning sin? And just to quickly recap, if you've missed part one and part two, you can go and view that on Facebook, on our website, on our uh, podcast platform. So please go and listen to that if you've missed it. But to quickly recap, just in the life of Saul and David, these first two kings of Israel, what we see happening in the life of Saul is that the Philistines are rising up against them, and they want to go into battle against the Philistines. And they want to uh, bring an offering before the Lord, as was the custom before battle, to hear from God, to receive His blessing, to make sure that when they go out in and engage in this war, that the blessing of God is with them. And we, you know, made this joke that Samuel Lotrit because the guys always late, but we said this morning can also be Samuel Lawrence, you know, for that case. I don't know if it's something with the with the Al surnames, you know, st- starting with the L. That seems to be late, but nonetheless, Samuel, Lord Lawrence shows up late. And it's interesting because he's the one that seems to err first and Saul goes and out of what seems to be a good heart, offers the sacrifices to God to ensure that the blessing of God remains with them. To ensure that the word of God goes with them as they go out to war. And Samuel comes and says, you have offered an unlawful sacrifice and God is going to strip the kingdom of God away from you and give it to another A man after his own heart. Strange enough, that man being David with his sin and all, will do all that I've commanded him to do. But then we see as if God gives Saul a second chance. As he goes in the book of 1 Samuel 16, you can go and read about that. Chapter 16, Samuel comes to Saul again and says, The Lord has anointed you king over Israel. Go and devote to destruction the Amalekites. Because the Amalekites are devoting to destruction the people around him. And there we also see a bit of the justice of God or the disciplining of God according to the sins of the Amalekites, according to their sin God disciplines. According to their sin he executes judgment. And we'll look at that in just a while. And what Saul does is God says, go and devote to destruction, kill everything, kill all the animals, and kill all the people. And what Saul does is he keeps the best animals alive to go and sacrifice to the Lord at Gilgal, seemingly good heart. And he also keeps Amalek, the king of the the Amalekites alive, again, out of a seemingly good heart. But there we can see a bit of the pridefulness of Saul as keeping a king alive after you've defeated the nation, seen as keeping a trophy. So there you can see a bit of the arrogance, a bit of the pridefulness of Saul. But nonetheless, it seems to be out of a good heart. And here comes Samuel and he says to Saul, God has stripped the kingdom of God away from you and given it to another. Samuel goes and anoints David to be king of Israel. The spirit of God departs from Saul and goes and rests upon David. And later Saul and his son is killed in battle. And then David goes, he commits adultery with Bathsheba, the friend of Uriah, which is one of David's mighty men of valor, that was so loyal towards David that moved mountains for David on the battlefield. And yet he commits adultery with him. He tries to cover up his sin by inviting Uriah, making him drunk, wanting to send him home, so that it might seem that the son that is about to be born is Uriah's son. Uriah does not want to give in, and he sends a message by the hand of Uriah himself. And says to Job, put him in the forefront of the army, draw back so that he might be killed, and he's killed, and he here passes, the child is born, and David has not yet repented. You know, in, in the light of this, we wonder, Lord, what is going on here? Because God still forgave David, and he still remained with him. And we made these two points the last two sessions. Sin was saying, point number one, it is only the word of God that can break through. And turn a sinner into a saint. In both the lives of David and Saul, they did not repent. God needed to send his word by the prophets for them to to repent. God extending his grace. So the difference is not who moved first. It is always God extending his grace. Because the tendency of man is to justify ourselves, cover up our sins, and simply move on. The grace of God and the word of God needs to be extended. And then we also said point number two. God delights in forgiving the heart. That is true and set on him. This is where the difference comes in and how we respond to grace. When God extended his grace to Saul, Saul didn't take ownership of his sin, but he pretended that he did not have the sin. And we said, God cannot forgive the sin we pretend we do not have. We need to take ownership of it. And in David's case, he came to God with an honest heart, a repentant heart, a truthful heart. And God forgave because God delights to forgive that heart. You know, and before we dive into tonight's session, I simply want to say this quickly, I'm going to mention it very briefly. But we need to understand godly repentance. You know, because Saul said, I've sinned. He, he said the words, you know, and in this morning in our breakout room, Maria also said, as we were speaking about this, acknowledgement of sin is not repentance from sin. We many times acknowledge it, but that does not mean we repent. You know, like he said, God sometimes comes and says, hey, you have this sin, and he says, yes, Lord, I know. And we simply continue in it. Acknowledging our sin does not mean repentance of sin. So there's four things when it comes to repentance of sin. The first is to renounce. Proverbs 28:13, He who confesses and forsakes his sin will be shown mercy. Confession and forsaking our sin. Turning away from repentance. Turning from sin towards God. That is the first step. But then there comes renewal. As David said in Psalm 51, verse 10. You can go and read that on your own true heart of repentance Lord come and renew the heart and the spirit that is within me allow me to think different and to feel different according to the sins that I've committed that I might turn away from it Lord that I might hate the sin in my life that is the renewal and God does that through discipline according to our sin we'll see that in a moment then there comes renewal God comes and restores to us and he prays and says Lord restore to me also Psalm 51 verse 12 and 13 restore to me the joy of my salvation and I will tell sinners of your wonderful deeds. And there's restoration, a part of repentance. Restoring the joy of our salvation and being realigned with the path of God for our lives. And then we have resistance. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 3 and verse 4, that in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed. Resistance. So we see that four things if there's truly a godly repentance. To renounce sin. To allow God to come and renew and to restore and that we might resist the sin that comes and tempts us. That is godly repentance. And the reason we have to understand that is because as we ask this question, Lord, we see the difference between Saul and David. Saul did not have godly repentance. David did, and you forgave him, Lord. And we understand the difference between these two men, but what about the justice concerning sin? And God executes his judgment in two broad ways. Firstly, on those who do not repent, but secondly, also on those who do repent, but in a different way. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So if there's true godly repentance, God deals in a certain way with us. And if there's no repentance, God deals with us in another way. So with that in mind, with true godly repentance in mind, we also ask the question, but how is a good God allow sin to spread throughout the earth? Why doesn't a good God just simply take it away? The age-old question, God is... You know, omnipotent, he's all-powerful, and hes he's all good. So why does he not remove evil? And for us to answer the question, we need to define two things. First is, what is evil? Or maybe better ask, who is evil? And then secondly, what will be left if evil is taken away? Or who will be left if evil is taken away? So with that question in mind, let's see how God deals with David. So we're going to read to Samuel 12 from verse 1 to 13. Just after David's sin, as Nathan comes to David and he brings to him a case, because he's the king of Israel and he says, David, you need to judge this case that has just come in. What is your verdict? What is your just verdict on what has happened here? And so we read together. And the Lord said to Nathan, go tell David. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing. And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord. The God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, therefore again, that word that we should should note in Scripture. Therefore, because or for. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbour and he shall lie with them with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but i will do this thing before all israel and before the sun david said to nathan i've sinned against the lord and nathan said to david the lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die and first of all i want to say tonight that if there's certain things about this passage that that sounds strange to you, that you don't quite understand, that you don't quite grasp. You know, I've wrestled through this passage these last couple of weeks to see what goes on here, to make sense of it and to implore God and the justice of what's happening here and how God deals with these people. And I want to implore you, if that is the case, if something doesn't make sense, if you do not understand something well, dive into scripture, dive into prayer and wrestle with God and ask him to give you the wisdom. And also, as we go through this, and feel free to contact me if you want to go and drink a coffee so that we can discuss a couple of things. But this is an interesting one tonight. Not because it's so difficult, but because we are so reluctant many times to just believe the truths from God's Word because in our sinful nature, in our fallen state, we don't view justice as we should, we don't view righteousness as we should. We can simply see it from God's word and take that truth and apply it into our lives because as fallen man we see in part and then we will see in full. We now know in part, we then will know in full. So bear with me, let's dive in. And uh, if you are you know, the, the self-righteous and the, the prideful, hold on to your seat, this is going to be a rough one. So as we read through this passage, we see three things mainly. The first is man's blindness towards his own sin. And towards his own evil. The blindness of man concerning his own sin and concerning his own evil. We many times have a shallow view of our own sin. Because our tendency is to justify ourselves. To cover up our sin and to simply move on. Shallow view of our own sin. Blind towards it. The second thing we see is the forgiveness of God. God's grace being poured out. And it says there, you know, the Lord has put away your sin. And we will look in just a moment, where did God put David's sin? Where did he put it? And the third thing we see is the discipline of God. God disciplines us according to our sins. That is how He instructs us. That's how He renews the right heart and the right mind within us. So let's begin with the blindness of man concerning our own evil. And then we'll move through the list. We read here in 2 Samuel 15 verse 5 to 6. And it says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And here we see David with the same thing. Lord, this evil that has been committed, this must be purged from the land, Lord. A good God must come and execute judgment. But a man like this does not deserve to live. Are you with me? You know, David pronouncing that judgment. And he's being you know, brought before him in his own case, but in a lighter manner. David did this sin, but in a much, much lighter manner. This man that is seemingly brought before David. And we see here the deceptiveness of sin and the blindness of David concerning his own sin. Because our tendency is to justify. What did David say to Job in the 11th chapter that we looked at last time, 2 Samuel 11:25. 25? It's not on the screen, but you can go and read that. What did he tell Job? Do to, to not let this thing displease you. Do not let this thing displease you because the sword devours now one and now another. Uriah might have died in any case because of the justification of his sin. It doesn't seem that it's too bad, but it says the thing that David did, it displeased the Lord. But don't let this thing displease you. He has a shallow view of his own sin and something else that we need to note here is that the judgment of sinful man is much harsher than the judgment of a righteous God. The judgment of sinful man is much harsher than the judgment of of righteous god because we read in exodus 22 verse 11 that if you kill someone's lamb or if you take someone's lamp yes you have to restore for fault but it's nowhere near deserving of the death penalty the judgment of sinful man much harsher you know what we tend to do as man because of the shallow view of our sin because of our justification is we look past our sin and judge it in the lives of others now hear me on this, I'm not saying that we judge other people's sin, I'm saying we judge our own sin in the lives of others. We'll see this in just a moment. So with this in mind, our judgment is much harsher than that of righteous God and we are deceptively blind towards our own sin. You know, the scripture says in Hebrews 3 verse 13, do not let the deception of sin harden your hearts. Take care, let no one be taken captive by the deceitfulness of sin." Because it comes and it deceives us. And I have to say to us tonight that whenever we ask the question, how can a good God allow evil to exist, we are exactly where David was in this moment. And we think that in of ourselves or in of some people, there are some people just by their nature that do exert something other than the wrath and the judgment of God. Whenever we ask that question, we think that, Lord, we do not deserve your judgment. We do not deserve to die, Lord, but these people... Like David said, these men deserve to die. When will you come, Lord, and execute judgment? When will you come and purge evil from the land? And the response of God to each and every one of us is the same thing that Nathan said to David. We read in 2 Samuel 12 verse 7. And when we ask God, Lord, why don't you take away evil? Why don't you strike dead these sinful people? He says to us, you are the man. You are the man deserving of death. You are the evil that I should remove from the land. You are the sin that I should remove and take away and judge and pour my wrath out upon. And we read in Romans 2 verse 1 in the New Living Translation. I I love the New Living Translation. It says the following. You may think you can condemn such people. Speaking about chapter 1. Where Paul lists these people committing gruesome sins. Because God gave them over to their own sensualities. Because they did not worship God as God. And they did vile, vile things. And. Paul says here, you might think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. We are that men deserving of death. We are those deserving to be punished. As we read in Romans 3 from verse 10, you can go and read, it's not on the board. But none, no one is righteous. None does good. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. There is no one that does good. There is no one that is righteous. All of us deserve the punishment of God to be poured out upon us. You know, like Votie Barkham would say, we are, as people, what is wrong with the world. We are what is wrong with the world. Because the scripture says in Colossians 1.22, we are hostile in mind towards the one who created us. And we are engaged in evil deeds. We are what is wrong with the world when we ask God to come and execute judgment, to come and condemn sin, to come and take away evil. We are asking God to come and take us away. And sometimes we might say, No, no, that doesn't sound like it. there's people much worse than me. They're evil, I'm just bad. But the question we have to ask ourselves is how much evil before we are evil? How much sin before we are sinners? How many murders do you need to commit before you are a murderer? How many lies do you need to tell before you are a liar? How much evil before we are evil? So the reason God does not simply come right now and takes away evil, because then tomorrow no one would be here. All of us would be gone. And whenever we ask that question, we assume that God is going to do it right now. And God says, and we'll see that in his word, that he does not allow evil. He tolerates it for a little while. But then judgment will come. And the reason he tolerates it is because out of patience, so that we might repent and turn to God. That is why God does what he does. But we will be judged. His righteousness will come. He does not allow it. He simply tolerates it for a little while. You know, we read in Scripture, Galatians 6 verse 7, because especially concerning David's sin, we think that God just forgave him, put away his sin, nothing's going to happen. But God says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked whatever you sow you will also reap that is galatians 6 7 god is not mocked whatever you sow you will also reap it doesn't say what unbelievers sow they will reap it doesn't say what some people say they will reap it said he is not mocked whatever a man sows that will he also reap and god deals with us in two different categories like i said in the beginning those who repent with godly repentance and those who do not what will those reap Who do not repent they will reap the wrath and the judgment of god on the day that he comes and judges this world in righteousness they will reap the wrath of god but those of us who repent we will also reap something what we will reap is the loving discipline of god according to our sins he will discipline us according to our sins the effect of our sins do not simply just disappear when you say sorry lord i didn't study for this math test you don't get 90 percent The effect of our sins remain and God uses that to discipline us so that righteousness may be the fruit of our lives. So let's just firstly look at how God deals with those who do not repent. Because we many times ask that question, you know Lord when we look at our country, the people in our country, the godless, they seem just to prosper with corruption. They just seem to prosper in each and everything, they just seem to get and get more and continue and continue. When will your judgment come Lord? And God says, do not worry about them. Look at what they are busy doing. Romans 2, verse 4 to 5. Or do you presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So there we see the delay why God is bearing with evil, so that he is patient to those who will be led to repentance. But for those who are not, it says, but because of your heart and impenitent hearts or your unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Not a place where we want to be. Storing up wrath. For the day of judgment. When God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So God says do not worry about those people. They are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. And if you ask. But Lord why are you taking so long. Like we just see. and We also see in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. God is not slow to, to fulfill his promise. As some would count slowness. But He is merciful and patient, giving us time so that we might repent. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That is verse 10. And when He comes, the heavens will melt as they burn. And the new heavens and new earth will come where righteousness will dwell. And on that day, may we be found in Him. On that day, may we be found in Him. As the heavens melt as they burn. When the righteous wrath of God is poured out in mankind. But do you not concern yourself? Of the godless. They are storing up wrath. For the day of judgment. We need to ask ourselves. Lord how do you deal with us. Because even when it comes to us Lord. You are not mocked. We will sow. We will reap what we have sown Lord. And God says I will come. And discipline you. According to your sin. Look at what happens to David. 2 Samuel 12 verse 10 to 11. It says for for this time on. Because you have done this. For this time on. Your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking your eyes' wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. And I've left that second part out if you want to be challenged. And I don't want to open up a can of worms now. But if you want to be challenged by something, go and read the rest of it as well. Go and sit with God as... You wrestle and see how God disciplines us according to our sins. But we see here, God says that I will discipline David because of his sin. The effect of his sin will not simply be taken away. There will be an effect. And God uses that to discipline David. Three of his oldest sons were killed with the sword. The sword will not depart from your wife, from your house. David's wives and concubines committed adultery against David. And the very sin that David commits. Becomes the very sin he hates. As God disciplines him through that sin. It might sound strange to us. So let me give us another biblical example. And then I'll give you a modern day one. And then you wrestle with that. But we see the life of Jacob. Genesis 27. What does Jacob do when he wants to steal his brother Esau's birthright? He deceives his father. He pretends to be Esau. And he steals his brother's birthright. Two chapters later. Genesis 29. He works seven years to marry Rachel. What does Laban do with Jacob? He deceives him, and he gives him the wrong wife. Another nine chapters later, Genesis 38, we read that Jacob has a favorite son. Genesis 37, Jacob has a favorite son. His name is Joseph. His brother take him, sells him as a slave. He takes his coat that his dad made, tears it to pieces, dips it in blood, and what do they tell Jacob? They deceive him. Your son whom you love is dead. And for the most of his life, Jacob believed that his favorite son had died that day. In the last couple of years of his life did he see? No. He was deceived. And so that God disciplines us according to our sins. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That which we sow, we will also reap in this life if we believe. Then the last one, I won't say it explicitly, especially not in the morning service, but I'll say it now and and you take that home and wrestle with that. But let me ask a question and you can figure it out for yourselves. What nation, what godly nation, because we also have to bear in mind that God disciplines nations as well. Think about this. Israelites, all of them did not rebel against God. All of them did not oppress the poor. All of them did not turn away to false idols. Yet all of them were taken into captivity. All of them. Even those who did not do those things. And we might say, no, that seems unfair. Again, we are in the boat where David was. We seem to think that we deserve anything else than judgment. God's loving discipline is better than judgment. And we don't even deserve that. But the whole nation gets punished. The whole nation gets disciplined. So let me ask us this question. What godly nation or professingly godly nation discriminated because of color and the thing they hate most is now that they are discriminated against because of their color I won't say who but I think you know do not be deceived God is not mocked that's what we sow we will also reap and the reaping of this is according to our sin and God does it out of love if you want to believe this we read in Hebrews 12 verse 5 to 7 In the context of wrestling against sin we read the following Hebrews 12 from verse 5 to 7 and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises or punishes every son whom he receives it is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You know, and the scripture says in the end of that specific passage that all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But afterwards, it yields the fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What does God have in mind? Righteousness. The gospel is not our best life now. It's our only life then, when Jesus comes back. But in this life, we will be disciplined. And it will be according to our sin. And it is because of Love, whenever we ask, Lord, why all this pain? Why all this suffering, Lord? Why all of these things against me? God is responding and He says, because I love you. Hard to believe, but it's definitely the truth because we see it in the Word of God. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, but let me flip the script a little bit and ask you, when it comes to our own children, doesn't it work that way? When my son asks, Lord, Dad, why do you take this away from me? I want to watch Teletubbies. It's my life. Why are you taking it away? And I say, because I love you. Dad, why are you disciplining me? It's painful, because I love you. And we many times don't see it that way, because when God disciplines us, we are in the shoes of the child being disciplined. Lord, why are you taking away? Lord, why are you disciplining? And he says, because I love you. And one thing that i just want to make clear i'm not saying that every bad thing in your life is because of sin or your own sin let me say it that way the things that you've been through the things that you've lost or faced in this life do not let the enemy come and say it's simply because you have sinned and god is displeased of that that is not the truth what i am saying is that even the effect of our sin a good god will use for our benefit out of love and train us in righteousness by it that is what i'm saying all things work together for the good Of those who love him even the effect of our sin God will use for our good so that he can discipline us by that and whenever we face these things it's not the judgment it's not the wrath of God but it's the love of God being poured out on us but now I want to say one thing as well if this was simply it if the message were to stop here then God would still not be just if we simply were to say that Sinners, they are going to eternal damnation, while believers have temporal discipline. That is not just. We don't even deserve the loving discipline of God. Are you with me? It's not something we deserve. We do not deserve to be disciplined out of love. We deserve eternal damnation. So it doesn't stop here. So the question is still, Lord, even though you discipline us out of love, how is this just? Where did you put David's sin, Lord? And then the scripture says in romans 3 from verse 23 to 26 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we see this picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and to everyone who asked that question, how can a good God allow evil to exist? And Jesus asked the rhetorical question, is this enough? Is this enough for the sins of the world? Is this enough for God to delay a little bit so that we can come to repentance? Is this enough? The Son of God being rejected and killed for the sins of the world to show that God is just and so that we can be justified. Is that enough? Yes, we know that that is more than enough. That is the gospel. A loving God coming to pay a debt that we can never pay back. We can never pay back on our behalf, more than enough, when the goodness of God comes to triumph over sin. And God says, I'm not allowing evil. I'm enduring it for a little while. But those who do not repent, I will judge them in righteousness. But for those of you who have repented, just know that it's because of Jesus hanging on the cross, giving his life for sinful man, that God is just. And we become justified. That takes us to point number three. Sinner or saint, in Jesus, God remains just as we become justified. Is that not the gospel? In Jesus, God remains just as we become justified. That is what they call divine wisdom, divine grace. Grace is not the antithesis of justice. this is the justice of grace because the death of Jesus was enough to satisfy the wrath of God on behalf of those who would turn to him and I want to leave us with the following even though God says he's not slow to fulfill his promise but he's giving us time to repent we read the following in Acts 17 verse thirty to 31 and it says the following the times of ignorance God overlooked but now he commands all people everywhere to repent Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And I want to say this to all: God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because Jesus will come. on that day when the heavens will melt as they burn. And we will either be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own. Or we will be judged by him because of our unrighteousness. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That which we sow, that we will also reap. And as we bow down before God, that song just so, so fitting. Lord, where would we have been if not for you? If the grace of God was not put out. How good, how gracious, how merciful, yet holy and just. It's the King of kings and the Lord of lords whom we bow down to. Because when Jesus comes back, And we have not repented, that is a dreadful day. That is the dreadful day of the Lord. When he comes back, dressed in white, on a horse, rubbed, dipped in blood, name written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And some of us will stand and say, that is our salvation. But some will say, here comes our judgment. God has fixed the day. Let's turn and repent to him. I'm going to end off for us in prayer and then we're going to dive into our breakout rooms. And I just want us to discuss a simple thing. What stood out for you in this sermon? What stood out for you as we behold the justice of grace? As a good God comes and saves sinners from something that we could never save ourselves from. So I'm going to end off for us in prayer and then we're going to dive into our groups. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can come before you, Father, and just stand in awe, Lord, of your goodness, Lord, of your divine wisdom, Father. As you come, Father, and you justify us by grace, Lord, while you remain just for the divine wisdom, Father, so that you can show your love, Lord, and your salvation to those whom you have chosen, Lord. And as we stand here, Lord, looking at your sovereignty, Lord, looking at your grace, Lord, we say thank you for us that is here, Lord, that you have chosen us, Lord, that you have saved us, Lord, that you have poured your grace out upon us, Father, and granted us repentance, Lord, for nothing is of ourselves you are good lord and worthy to be praised and i pray father that we might see father that the time is here lord the days are not long anymore father but are short lord that we as a church father might know to what we have been called father to go and proclaim the message of the gospel because you sovereignly choose to work through us father as we go and proclaim the message of the gospel To reach, Father, those whom you have called. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But how will they hear unless we preach? May we go out with a message, Lord, knowing that we have been saved, Lord. Where would we have been without you? Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for extending grace and empowering us to do what we've been called to do. You are worthy, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.